We sang today what Austin didn't tell you when he was introducing it is that he wrote that song. So when you see him, you might uh, thank him for, uh, for that. You know, one of the ways that we're so encouraged and blessed as a church is when each of us use whatever gifts and talents and abilities that he has given each of us. Because when we use those in service for Christ, then we all end up encouraged and benefited by them. So literally, every Sunday morning, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of people doing what God has gifted them to do. And some of those things are from the stage, but most of them, of course, are not. And we encourage and bless each other as we use the gifts God's given us. So thank him for that next time you see him. And um, Austin is uh, a volunteer, just like almost all of us. And he's um, programs all day for Amazon and of late has been going home in the evenings and working on recording songs. So way uh, cool that God's uh, encouraging him in that way. Um, Second, tonight you'll uh, you'll hear more information about this in the announcement time when the sermon's over from Brandon, but um, just a quick word about the members meeting tonight. Um, If you were to to take, it wouldn't take you very long, maybe 20 to 30 minutes, if you were to take all the passages in the New Testament that directly speak to who the church is and what the church is supposed to be doing, if you were to gather them all together and, and ask, essentially, which of these are we actively seeking together as a congregation to follow, and which ones of these might we say we haven't been doing this faithfully? I think what you would find is there's one consistent theme across quite a few passages that we have not been doing a very good job of following as a church together. We're going to talk tonight about what that is and what it would look like for us to commit together to work, to labor, to obey all that God has said His church is for. So um, if you don't normally come to members' meetings, I want to encourage you to come tonight. I think this is one of those uh, times we'll look back on a long, long time from now, and remember us a, a critical moment in the life of the church. So, 6 o'clock tonight here in the auditorium. If you're not a member, the vast majority of that meeting is open to you, so feel free to come and, and sort of peer in and, and look at um, what we understand our responsibilities to be as a church family. Now, um, for today, we're going to be in Galatians 3. So, if you have a Bible, turn with me there. If you don't have one, Underneath the seat in front of you, you should be able to find a blue Bible like this, and in those Bibles will be on page 566, page 566. Um, We're now in, as I said last week, into the real heart of the book of Galatians, and we'll continue this morning picking up the argument where we left off last Sunday in what is certainly the most theologically dense and complex section of the whole letter. In fact, I would say this is one of the more complicated sections of the whole Bible. Remember, church, that as we study the Bible together week after week, month after month, year after year, that we're doing so in order to know and enjoy and grow closer to God together. And so far from being a mere intellectual or academic exercise, we're looking for things we can learn that would help us live more faithfully on Monday morning. We all know that's the hardest time to live faithfully, right? Yes? Maybe it's just me because I only work one day a week. Then Monday, the day after is hard. But as we chew together on, on theologically weighty 
verses. Again, we do so for very practical reasons, that we would be encouraged and equipped to live in a way honoring to God in the coming week. Last week, we explored the great truth that people are justified by faith alone. Maybe you'll recognize that we've sung about that together this morning. We've read Scripture about that. We have thought carefully already for uh, 35 minutes about the truth that people are made right with God by faith alone. We saw last week together that uh, from the very beginning of the Christian life, when God converted you, Christian, He gave you His Spirit, and that happened by faith through grace alone. And that the Scriptures clearly teach that this is how the Christian life began, and it's how it continues to operate. Today we're going to pick up that idea and sort of look further, deeper into it, not picking up a new idea, but simply continuing what Paul's already taught us. So imagine with me, if you could, just for a moment, that, that Paul is actually here, and that we have the joy of hearing not from me, but from him. What he might say to us is, I know I've already told you that the Scriptures say everyone who is right with God was made right with God by faith. But let me tell you again, and let me tell you from a different set of verses in the Old Testament, and let me tell you through a few different strands of thought, and I want you to be so convinced that your Christian life began by faith and it continues by faith, that we're going to look at it over and over and over again. That's what we're going to be doing today. Now, before we read the text, we're going to be looking together, uh, starting at verse number 10 in just a moment. Before we read it, though, imagine with me that you're standing at one of those great forks in the road of life. We only really come to a few of those, but imagine with me you're there now. You've got to choose. You've got to go to the right or you've got to go to the left. There's a decision to make. Now, imagine this particular fork in the road renders every other fork you've already come to and chosen rather inconsequential. The degree you chose, whether you buy or rent, if it's best to take out a student loan or go to community college instead, even the huge decision of whether to marry him or not. None of these decisions have the same amount of weight as this fork in the road does because all those decisions are temporary. But the fork you've come to today, this one leads to an eternal destination. This one lasts forever. And posted above the split between the two roads is a sign. And that sign says in big, bold letters, one path is the path of life. And so you know the consequence. What you're perhaps uncertain of is which path to choose. And as you get to looking more closely on these two paths, one to the right, one to the left, you notice written on the path itself in big letters is to the right, the word works. 
to the left, the word grace. Of course, there are those scurrying dirt paths that run off in many directions, but you know those are dead ends. You've got to choose. Only one of these paths lead to a right relationship with God that lasts forever. It can't be both. It's one or the other. In our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul holds out for us these two paths. And friends, without in any way intending to be melodramatic, the choice that lies before us is the choice between heaven and hell, between freedom and slavery, between peace and war, between forgiveness and condemnation, between believing and doing, law and gospel, blessing and cursing. The paths that lay out for us this morning, Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 to 12 tell us what happens on the path of works. And verses 13 and 14 lay out for us the path of grace. Let's consider them both today, starting first with the path of works. Jacob Jones is going to come read for us from Galatians 3, verses 10 through 12. Is this thing on? Sweet. Oh, my goodness. The righteous shall live by faith, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) In no uncertain terms, these uh, three verses declare resoundingly that anyone who chooses to take that path down the path labeled works will be condemned. Anyone aiming by her obedience and good behavior to merit or earn or stay in a right relationship with God based on what we do, based on good behavior, will find we've reached the wrong path. But why? Imagine the vast majority of us here in the room this morning are hearing a message like this, not for the first time. As I laid out those two paths, you already know which one to choose. But could you articulate clearly, succinctly, and biblically why only the path of grace works? Why the path of works doesn't work? Well, in those couple of verses that Jacob just read for us, we see three distinct yet overlapping reasons why we ought not go down the path of works. First, if you would look with me at at verse 10, just allow your eyes to glance back over it. Verse 10 says that the path of works is the wrong path because the law demands perfect obedience. Notice with me, perhaps if you're somebody who writes in your Bible, you can circle that little word all. It is the critical word in verse 10. The law 
demands obedience to all of the law. Friends, Paul is aiming to tell us that cursed, damned, condemned, and alienated from God are all people who aim to be right with God by obeying all that God commands. It's a rather sobering thought, isn't it? Friends, remember as we consider who God is this morning, that most principally we're not here to think about ourselves, but to think about Him. And God in His Word tells us that He is he's holy, that He's perfect, that He has no weakness, that He is perfect in every way. There is no moral defect or deficiency of any kind in God. The God of the universe is altogether good and altogether lovely. And all who would be made right with Him, who would be in close relationship with Him, must also be the kind of people who mirror His moral uprightness. The kind of people among whom the commands of God are put on display because they show the character of God. But here's the catch. Because the law demands perfect obedience, all who would be in right relationship with God based upon the law, or if you look at verse 10 again, based on relying on the law, will find that they are lacking justification, that they are not right with God. Because the only way to be made right with God by law is to obey all the law, all of it. James chapter 2, verse 10 puts it so clearly. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So think of it this way. If you've been a good old boy this week by not murdering anyone, and yet you have in any way nurtured a heart of bitterness, towards someone who has done you wrong, then you are guilty of the whole. If you've not had sex with someone other than your spouse, and yet you took a second lust-filled glance at somebody passing by, then you are guilty of the whole. If you've not stolen a car this week, but when you went out to eat, you got a water cup, free, and filled it with Coke, then you are guilty of the whole. Friends, obedience to the law requires adherence to the whole law or bearing the curse of breaking it all. The implication here, of course, is that none of us can stand up under that kind of weight. We are all bearing the weight of the curse. Now sure, some of us are better than others, and yet we have all failed. We cannot be made right with God by works because none of us can do all the right works. This is the first great reason why we must not choose the path of law or the path of works because none of us are able to follow the law in its entirety. The second reason Paul gives us is found in verse 11. 
And you'll see there if you look in your Bibles closely that there's a portion of that verse in quotation marks. That's meant to tell us that this is coming from somewhere else in the Bible. You'll see that phrase, quote, the righteous shall live by faith, unquote. That's one of the key phrases throughout all of Scripture. It was first spoken by the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, and he said it to a people who were disappointed with God. The righteous shall live by faith. That was picked up first by Paul in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1. Then here in Galatians chapter 3. And another author uses it in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. That's four times that one phrase is used. Now, I learned from disobeying my mom that repetition tends to denote emphasis. So, this is something God really wants us to know. The righteous live by faith. Friends, no one, not a single person, is counted right with God by their obedience. Why? Because that's simply not how God works. Now, if you tune me out and don't listen to anything else I say, so you could hear this as code to take a nap in a minute, but catch this. Listen to this one thing. What God most basically asks from people is not that we would do something, but that we would believe Him. The most essential message of the Christian faith is not doing, but believing. It's not obeying, it's trusting. Now, if that sounds a little off to you, then maybe for the first time in a long time, you're actually hearing the gospel. The gospel is not the message of what you can do for God. It's a message of what God has already done for you. And what God asks most principally is that we would simply believe Him, that we would take Him at His word. God knows we won't be able to obey perfectly. And so what he calls us to is that we would trust completely. And friends, some of us are so immersed in our approach to life that all we can see is the need to perform. And yet, when we come to the Christian faith in the Bible, what we find is, yes, all kinds of things that God would call us to do, to obey. And obedience does matter. But obedience flows from it does not cause a right relationship with God. God says the righteous will live by faith. Now, the third and final reason Paul gives for not going down the path of law, but instead choosing the path of grace, is by far the most blunt. This one has a, a tip on the spear. This one hurts a little bit. You'll see in verse 12, that there's yet another passage quoted. Remember, the function of this entire paragraph is Paul's trying to argue, the Bible has always taught that the only way to a right relationship with God is by grace through faith. These quotes come 
not from Habakkuk, but from a book called Leviticus. Now, I realize many of you woke up early this morning to read Leviticus, but in case one or two of you didn't, Leviticus chapter 18 marks out a stark contrast. It says, on the one hand, there's law, and on the other hand, there is faith. But what it tells us really closely and carefully is that these are not two sides of the same coin. Law isn't heads, and grace isn't tails. They are categorically two different things. They don't go together. In fact, the two are simply incompatible. Law and faith are not twins. They're not cousins. They're not even friends. Law and faith are foes. Friend, if you rely on your obedience to be made right with God, that's the way of law. If you rely on God to be merciful to you, to be gracious to you because you believe Him, that's the way of grace. Those two paths are not in any way commingled. They are two different paths. Law and faith do not go together. They are completely different. You cannot mix the two. Uh, around eight or nine years ago, um, I became pretty irritated that when I would go to Jiffy Lube, or I'm not, if you work for Jiffy Lube, I'm not picking on you, any other place to get your oil changed, when I'd go there, I'd pull in the little thing, and they would take like literally five minutes to pull some plug, drain some oil, pour some more in, and then charge me 50 bucks. That doesn't seem right, does it? So I thought, how hard can this be? So I went and bought one of those green oil pans, and I crawled up under my car, and I found the little thing, YouTube, and unscrewed it. And what, what, it, what they didn't tell me is it doesn't just drain like this, straight down, but it kind of goes like this, out. Have you tried this? Yeah, apparently there's so much force and pressure that it doesn't simply, like your faucet, go straight down. It rather goes like the uh, three-year-old who, who's trying to learn to stand and pee. It just kind of goes everywhere. And so I pulled the plug, and my pan was sitting directly under. And so therefore the oil went directly on Chuck. And then onto the uh, floor. And by golly, there's a lot of it. And so if you spill something outside, what do you do? You grab the hose. So I grabbed the hose and began trying to spray the oil. And here's what I learned. <laughs> oil and water do not mix. Friends, that's the way it is with law and grace. You, you can put oil and water together in a mason jar and mix it up. And for a moment, it will appear like the two are going to commingle and form some new substance. But it doesn't work. Church, just like oil and water cannot be combined. 
Works and grace will not commingle. They are two different ways of seeking to know and be made right with God. But this, of course, is exactly what the false teachers who had come to Galatia were trying to do. They were trying to take the, the oil of the law of the Old Testament and say, you've got to follow everything the law commands. You've got to become a full card-carrying Jew. And you've got to have the, the water of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And only when the two meet, only when you're following the law and trusting Jesus, can you actually have salvation. But the Bible from beginning to end declares that is not how this works. The two don't go together. Friend, you cannot obey your way into heaven. That is ever bit as foolish as trying to hose off the water, the oil, out of the garage. You cannot earn saving favor with God. It does not So Paul in these first three verses is imploring us, don't go the way of the law. And in the last two we'll read for today, he's going to tell us, go the way of grace. Look at me if you would at verse 13. If if you're a Christian and you're not in the habit of of, uh, meditating on, and in particular, memorizing Scripture, these would be two great verses to memorize. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Church, consider afresh and anew the stunning, scandalous reality disclosed in these verses. The perfect Jesus Christ became a curse for us. Brother, all your greed. Sister, all your hidden envy. Brother, every time you break your marriage covenant by looking at porn. Sister, every time you've done the the good thing, with the bad motive. Brother, every act of defiance. Sister, every angry outburst with your kids. These all deserve the unilateral, eternal condemnation of God. And yet on the cross in the first century, Jesus, Christian, bore your curse. It is not simply that God waved a magic wand and wiggled his nose and said, it doesn't matter. No, it's that Jesus bore the full weight of the wrath of God. Jesus was condemned so you would not Brothers and sisters, the curse of the law and the eternal penalty for sin have been lifted. Amen? 
You are not cursed. You are blessed. How? By the grace of God. This paragraph could be summarized in this sentence. The curse of the law is removed only by the cross of Christ. The curse of the law is removed only by the cross of Christ. Church, all who rely on the cross are eternally blessed. We know not the curse of our disobedience, but the blessing of right standing with God because Jesus took the curse. If you were here last week, you'll remember the passage we studied said that we are made right like Abraham. We've become part of the family of God like Abraham by faith. And so here in verse 14, that topic of Abraham is resumed. We're told that we have the blessing of Abraham. That means that everything promised in the Old Testament has come true today for Christians in Christ. We have the blessing of Abraham. We are part of the family of God. And then, you'll remember last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit who's given to us at conversion. And so, this paragraph today, aiming to complete that thought, says the Spirit is ours at the end of verse 14. So friends, all that belongs to Abraham has been given to us, and all that the Spirit can do has been provided for us. What a tremendous paragraph of the Bible. It's amazing. So let's circle back to where we began. There is before us a fork in the road. You cannot continue going straight. You simply must go to the right or to the left. You must choose works or you must choose grace. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus... Don't live under the illusion that you don't face this fork in the road and that you can choose some different path because there isn't one. Choose today to take the way of grace. Christianity is utterly unique among the religions of the world. Christianity claims that you have been walking on a path that cannot continue and that God has come along and chosen to walk the way of grace for you. And if you will but turn from sin and turn to Him, then He will pick you up and He will carry you the rest of the way. He will walk the way of grace for you. We invite you to walk that path with Him. That's what biblical belief is. It's trusting God and taking Him at His word. If you want to learn more about that, I'm sure somebody sitting around you would be happy to talk with you more after the gathering ends. They'd even be willing to tell you their story. Most people in this room have already come to know Christ, to get off that way of law and begin to walk the way of grace. So stick around. Let us have the privilege of telling you more. Or if you're ready today, you can write where you are, choose to follow Christ, not by doing, but by believing. Now, If you're here and you're already a follower of Christ, 
Don't make the mistake you may have already been making during this sermon. You may have been thinking, yeah, I already did that. I've already faced that fork in the road and, patting myself on the back, I chose the right path. Friends, understand that this paragraph in the book of Galatians was not written to non-Christians. It was written to you and me. It was written to people who reached that fork and did choose the right way. But friends, what's true is that walking that path of grace is not a one-time decision because throughout our days and weeks and months and years, there are endless off-ramps seeking to carry us back onto the path of law. And so this paragraph actually wasn't written to the non-Christian. It was written to the Christian who is being tempted and perhaps has in fact veered off course and begun to walk back on the path of law. We must still, even as Christians, moment by moment choose to walk in grace because we will be tempted to pick up again the path of law. Friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd just quite simply ask you this. Are you here today emotionally and spiritually exhausted? Are you tired in a way that one good night's sleep doesn't fix it? Are you tired down in your bones? Friends, I, I am convinced m many of us are. And we live in a time in which we're commonly taught that what's making you tired is the pace of life you're running at. So you have too many obligations. You've said yes to too many things. You are staying too up, up too late and getting up too early. And so the way to become less tired is to start saying no, to go on more vacations, to spend more money on hobbies. And friend, while there might be some truth in some of those things for some of us, maybe some of us are doing too many things. Maybe some of us are in vocations that the particular boss we have right now, it is impossible to actually meet the obligations set before us. But I think actually those of us who are down in our bones tired, more of us are more tired not because we are living at a pace of life that cannot be maintained, but we're seeking to live a life of works that doesn't work. It's the same path many of the people who lived in Jesus' day found themselves on. And so let me tell you what Jesus said to them. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and humble at heart. The teachers, religious teachers in Jesus' day were called rabbis. And they would go along and gather up followers, disciples, and they would invite those disciples to learn their particular interpretation of the Old Testament law. And guess what that, their interpretation was called? It's called a yoke. So what Jesus was saying is, uh, all the other rabbis you've been hearing from, they're teaching you, here's what the law says. And then they're teaching you, if you want to follow that law, then you've got to keep my laws. Because those laws will keep you from breaking these laws. And so these concentric circles had moved out and out and out and out until no one even was able to know what the original law actually said. Because it added so many more laws. And friends, nobody can actually bear that kind of weight. We can't live that kind of life. And so inevitably what we do is we get incredibly good at pretending. And the rabbis in Jesus' day were the best at it. They were people that everybody else would look at and see they're following the law. Because on the outside, they looked nice and shiny and clean. And they didn't do any of the big, dark, scary, outward sins. And yet inside, they were full of hypocrisy. And far from being helped, the people of Jesus' day were weighed down by a yoke of law that they could not keep. The people were exhausted, not because they were doing too much at work or keeping too many social obligations. They were spiritually trashed by a system they could not keep. And to them, Jesus said, take my yoke, learn from me, Friend, do you need to hear Jesus say that to you? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he'll give you rest. A rest for your soul. Do you tend to crumble when you fail? Is a poor performance review at work or a B on a credit on a report card devastating? Does serving consistently feel much more like duty than delight? Is it hard for you to believe that God loves you just as you are? Must you always be doing something productive? in order to feel worthwhile. Jesus can give rest. Church, one of our greatest responsibilities toward one another is helping each other when we've veered off the way of grace, come to see it. And grabbing each other by the hand and walking back to the path of grace.
May we do that well for one another. Let's pray. Before I voice a prayer for us, I want to ask you to just go to the Lord yourself for a minute. Consider what He would say to you. Father, the need for this passage and our present, current, very real, palpable sense is that many of us started down the path of grace. We've been saved by grace through faith, and it's not of our own doing. It's not a result of works. And yet so many of us have unknowingly perhaps, but taken an exit ramp off the highway of grace and found ourselves back on the bumpy, circuitous, pothole-filled road of law. So we say today, God, we're sorry. We want to turn around and come back to grace. We thank you that there's grace even for that. And I pray that any brothers and sisters here today who have heard you speaking your word to them and that sense there's something's got to change, that, God, they would be visiting with you now about that even as I'm praying, and then they would choose to be courageous and humble and honest and not keep that to themselves, that they'd say to another brother or sister in Christ, Could you walk with me back to the road of grace? Father, we long to become really good at helping each other with that, for it is a clear and present danger for us. Thank you that you've told us so clearly that most principally what you ask from us is that we trust you, that we believe you. And so we ask you to grow that trust Increase our faith. We say we believe, but help our unbelief. And then send us out into the world fueled not by law, not by works, but compelled by grace to tell a world so desperately in need that there's a way off the dead end of works. His name is Jesus. It's in his name we pray.